You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. God has a plan. God has a plan for human history. God is working by His power and wisdom to bring history to His desired conclusion. The Bible tells us there's coming a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That time's coming. God is working. God has a plan. God has a plan for your individual life. God knows you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything about you. And God has purpose and meaning and a plan for you to walk in as you follow Jesus daily. God has a plan. And I want you to know this morning, this is where our focus will be, that God has a plan for His church. And God has a plan for this church, First Baptist Church. And we want to know what that plan is so we can walk in it. Because we will experience His power and favor in direct correlation with whether or not we are following His plan. And I want to show you that from Ephesians chapter 4. So turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 11. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And while you're standing and while I have your attention, before I lose it, just kidding, while I have your attention, I just want to say a word about the ruling that came down from the Supreme Court this past week in the Dobbs case. And the word that just kept coming to my mind and heart as I reflected on the decision the Supreme Court made was monumental. You know, we're coming up on 50 years of Roe v. Wade being the law of the land, federal protection for abortion in our culture, and millions upon millions of babies have been killed under that law. And, and here's what's interesting. A couple of weeks ago in our Vacation Bible School, the theme was Psalm 139. We've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And last week, our team went to North Dakota and told those children in a park, They've been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And we believe that happens at the moment of conception. And we hold to the sanctity of life from the womb to the tomb. And so to see something like Roe v. Wade overturn in our nation is monumental. It's an answer to prayer and tireless work on, uh, on, on the behalf of many, many people involved in the pro-life cause. And and I was praying about this this week and thinking about it. And, and the, the idea that just kept coming to my mind was this. God has shown mercy in our nation. He's shown mercy in our nation. 
And we as Christians should rejoice in that, rejoice in the decision. I believe one of the great lies that Satan has caused Americans to believe is that the abortion issue, pro-life, pro-choice, is a political issue. It's not a political issue. It is a moral issue, a matter of right and wrong. And so I'm just grateful that, that uh, this happened. And again, it's an answer to prayer. And we as Christians will continue on uh, caring for mothers, caring for women caught in crisis pregnancies. We'll continue to care and help and encourage and champion life. I want you to know that through your giving to this church, you're already doing that. Did you know you're involved in taking care of orphans in Mexico? And you're involved in taking care of orphans in the state of Florida? And you're involved in taking care of orphans in Okaloosa County through your giving to this church? So you're already on the front lines pushing back the darkness, being champions of life. And so I commend you for that. And let's keep on keeping on for the glory of God. Every life. Listen, every life... Every life is created in the image of God and has intrinsic value and worth. And I believe that to the core of my being. And so we celebrate what God has done in our nation. But let's keep on keeping on uh, living uh, in His truth and walking in His Word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul writes, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers... To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the church. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are grateful for your presence in this place. That we have the opportunity to gather as a faith family and sing of the greatness of your name. To praise you, to worship you, to adore you, to ascribe to you the worth that is only due you. And now, Lord, to come to this moment where we are studying your word, you are speaking to us. And I pray that by your spirit we would understand your word and seek to respond to your word. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we lift this prayer up to you in his name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've seen in the book of Ephesians, it really divides almost in half. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with our wealth in Christ, all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ, and the second half of the book deals with our walk with Christ, how we ought to live in light of all that Jesus has done for us. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul writes, walk in a manner worthy. Let your walk um, be commensurate with your talk. Be consistent with who you are in Christ. And Paul begins to deal with some different issues that ought to be 
to be realities in the lives of Christians. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the issue of unity. And then last week, we began to talk a little bit about maturity as we looked at a transitional passage, which leads to our discussion this week on uh, maturity. Last week, we saw in verse 7 that Christ gives gifts to individual believers. He gives them special gifts so they can serve Him effectively. But He also gives gifts to the total body. And what I want to do is I want to show you this morning what those gifts are that God gives to His church. These gifts we're going to look at in verse 11 are in reality offices that help the church to function and grow as it ought. As we study these offices that God has given the church, we'll start to see God's plan for His church emerge. So look there in your notes. Three aspects of God's plan for His churches. Now, if you look at your notes, you'll notice that under the third point, there are no subpoints because we're not going to get to it this week. All right, We're just going to get to, to, to points one and two. We'll, we'll cover point three next week in part two of this sermon. But this week I want to show you two of those three aspects of God's plan for His churches. Number one, we see God's plan for leadership. God's plan for leadership. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 11. And He, Jesus, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, victorious, Jesus Christ, He gave... The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He mentions here in verse 11 some offices that he gave the church in terms of leadership. And I want to just walk you through those offices. First of all, there are offices for the foundation of the church. Offices for the foundation of the church. He mentions there in verse 11 that Jesus gives to his church... Apostles and prophets. Apostles and prophets. The apostles and prophets were responsible for communicating the body of New Testament truth to new churches that were started from their missionary efforts. In other words, when, when, when the apostles were going out preaching the gospel in the first century, there was not a completed New Testament. They were writing the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when they were writing letters to the different churches that they were starting. Look what it says back in Ephesians 2, verse 20. It says, and we studied this, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's because the apostles and prophets were given direct revelation from God to communicate to God's people. Over time, that revelation was written down and collected, and we call that revelation the faith. We call that revelation the Bible. We call that revelation the New Testament. And it came from God through apostles and prophets. Now, the word apostle, the basic meaning is one who is sent out as a messenger. And they had a special role in the foundation of the early church. In the Bible, there were 13 that held the office of an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, there were others who were called apostles in a more general sense, in the sense they were sent out. But those who were actual uh, apostles in terms of an office, there were 13. Basically, there were the 12 disciples. Judas was replaced by Matthias in Acts chapter 1. And then Paul was called to be an apostle. 
Now, to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, there had to be some qualifications. Acts chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 list these qualifications. First of all, they had to be directly chosen by Christ, and they had to have witnessed the resurrected Jesus. Those are the qualifications for apostleship. And those 13 specifically met those qualifications. Therefore, because of those qualifications, there is therefore now no way we still have the office of apostle. It's not there anymore. It was just for those 13 in the early formation of the New Testament church. That's why I don't call myself Apostle Wade. I'm not an apostle. That's not who I am. And if someone else calls himself an apostle, you need to be a little bit wary of that. Because they don't meet the, the New Testament qualifications of apostleship. It's interesting to note that the word apostle is not used in the sense of an office or in the more general sense after Acts chapter 16 verse 4. Nor is there any record in the New Testament of an apostle being replaced when he died. You just don't see that in the scripture. So the apostles were foundational leaders of the New Testament church who were called by God to communicate revelation, the truth of the New Testament, to the church. And then there are prophets. These prophets were also ones who spoke revelation from God. They weren't in the office of, of apostle, but they were, again, given revelation to speak to God's people. And so apostles and prophets were, were meant for the foundation of the church, to get the church started on the right foot, to make sure the church had the right foundation, the foundation of truth. But then in verse 11, there are some offices mentioned for the furtherance of the church. How the church is to continue to function. Look what it says in verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets. Then it says, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Evangelists and shepherds and teachers are for the furtherance of the church. Now focusing on that word evangelists. This is one who proclaims the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and we see what an evangelist is all about when we look at Philip. Over in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, Philip is called an evangelist. And in Acts chapter 8, we see what Philip did. In Acts chapter 8, God brings Philip into a divine appointment with the Ethiopian eunuch. If you remember that story, Philip's walking along the road, and the Ethiopian eunuch, a court official from Ethiopia, comes riding by in a chariot, and it just so happens he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip and the, the Ethiopian court official began to have a conversation. And Philip's like, what are you reading? He said, well, I'm reading the book of Isaiah. And it speaks of this one who was slain. And I don't understand who it's talking about. And Philip says, well, I can tell you who it's talking about. And he gets in the chariot with him. And, and he tells them that Isaiah points to Jesus Christ, the one who left heaven, came to earth, died on the cross, and rose from the dead so we can have victory over sin and death. And he shares the gospel. And the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. And they baptize him there. And the Ethiopian eunuch goes on rejoicing because he had met Christ. He goes back to Ethiopia. What does Philip do next? The Bible says he went to other towns, other areas, preaching the gospel. That's what evangelists did. An evangelist was someone who was, who was sent out to share the gospel. Now, I believe that evangelists are still active in the church today. They are for the furtherance of the church. The foundation has been laid. We have the completed canon of Scripture. We have the New Testament. 
But we want to continue to to reach people and grow and function as the church. And so evangelists go out and share the gospel. We have in our nation evangelists that go to different churches. And and, and many of these evangelists that I know, they have a, a special gift for drawing the net. A special gift for preaching the gospel and calling people to decision and calling people to faith in Christ. And so there are evangelists that go from from church to church or from community to community and and they preach the gospel. And so that certainly fits under this category of evangelists. But I also think the idea of the missionary fits under this this title of evangelist or this office of evangelist. It's the same thing. Just like Philip, missionaries go out from their church to other areas where there's a need for people to hear the gospel. And they go and they share the gospel where God places them. That's a missionary. So I believe this this term evangelist covers the idea of missionaries in our church. And God has given the church evangelists, missionaries, for the furtherance of the work so more and more people can hear the gospel. Now let me tell you something I pray. And I pray this a lot. I pray... That God will call out of our church evangelists, missionaries. That will go like Philip and share the gospel in areas where there is great need for the Areas like North Dakota. And areas like South Asia. And areas like West Africa. And different areas of the world that need someone to come... And tell people that there is a God who loves them. There is a God who loves them so much he sent his only son to this earth. And that son whose name is Jesus went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. And he rose from the grave and he's alive today. And he's mighty to save. People need to hear that good news. Amen. Now I'm praying that God will call more and more and more people out of our church and put them on the front lines of lostness to push back the darkness with the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So it's, a, it's an office, the office of evangelist for the, for the furtherance of the church. But then there's another office mentioned here. It's the office of pastor-teacher. Pastor-teacher, that's one office. And we know that because in verse 11... There's only one definite article. It doesn't say the shepherds and the uh, teachers or the pastors and the teachers. It says the shepherds and teachers. So the one definite article uh, belongs to both of those phrases. They they fit together. And so the office of pastor-teacher or shepherd-teacher is one office. In our context, that would be ordained ministers of the gospel. I am, I am a, a called pastor of this church, ordained, set apart to the gospel ministry. Uh, Jared, a called pastor of the church. Josh, called pastor of the church. Jeff, called pastor of the church. Daniel, called pastor of the church. We, we, we have been called to, to function as, as pastors and shepherds in the life of this local church. If you look there in your notes, a pastor teacher is a shepherd for God's people with the primary responsibility to feed, lead, and protect the flock. The word translated shepherd there, or in other translations, pastor, is the word poimain. And it's just a word for a shepherd. And I love that imagery for pastors. A pastor is to shepherd the flock of God. And this means that they carry out the functions of a 
good shepherd. A good shepherd makes sure that the, 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 the sheep have the sustenance that they need. A good shepherd leads the flock to, to the, the still waters, to the safe pastures. A good shepherd protects the flock from, from enemies and from uh, animals that might harm them. And so that imagery is applied to this office in the New Testament church, pastor. Sometimes it's called elder. Sometimes it's called overseer in the, in the New Testament. And this office speaks of those who are called to lead, feed, and protect the flock. It's for the furtherance of the church. God gives his church leaders. That's the way it's supposed to work. Where God gives his church leaders and the leaders lead and the people work together to follow Jesus and make much of the gospel. So that's God's plan for leadership. But secondly, I want you to see very quickly God's plan for service. God's plan for service. This ties in to what the leaders are to be about. Look what it says back in verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers for what? Verse 12. This is important. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Paul tells us here in verse 12 why God gave these offices to the church. And in doing so, God unveils his expectations for the church. And he un- listen to this. He unveils his expectations for you who are not pastors. And it's very interesting to see. God has a plan for service. And here's how it's supposed to work. Look there in your notes. The leaders of the church are to equip the Christians to serve Christ in this world. The leaders of the church are to equip the Christians, the saints... The flock to serve Christ in this world. He says, to equip the saints, verse 12, for the work of ministry. Now that word equip is the Greek word katartismon. It means to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. And so God has some callings for you as Christians. Things he expects you to do. Ways he expects you to live. And God gives the church pastors to help the people understand those callings and then be equipped to live out those callings. That's how the church is supposed to function. And listen, this is the exact opposite of the hired gun mentality. Let me tell you something that's killing the American church. Here's what's killing the American church. People in the congregation saying, arms crossed, that's on purpose. We've hired people to do all that. That's the preacher's job. All this, you know, evangelism and service, and that, that's, that's the preacher's job, that's the staff's job. We've hired that out. We have hired guns. And that attitude could not be more antithetical to the New Testament. The New Testament tells us that every Christian in the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, has been given a specific and special spirit-empowered gift. 
And your call to exercise that giftedness within the body of Christ and in your community. There is no such thing in the Bible as a hired gun mentality. Certainly, pastors should lead by example. And pastors should put in the work and, 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 and do what God has called us to do. But the ultimate, the, listen, the ultimate role of the pastor is to equip you to do the work. That's what the Bible says. The leaders of the church are to put the right tools in the hands of the people... So they can be the hands and feet of Christ in this world. I came across a quote from Charles Spurgeon, great English preacher of the late 1800s. Listen to what he wrote. Too many consider that the services of the sanctuary are intended merely to feed them. They never look on the house of God as a barracks for soldiers. Or a place where workmen come together to sharpen their tools. They only regard it as a sacred shop, a spiritual pantry, or a heavenly lunchroom where much is to be received and little or nothing is required. Wow. Ephesians 4.12 delivers us from that mindset. We don't come to church just to receive. We don't come together just to get stuff so we feel more blessed when we leave and feel better when we leave and more inspired when we leave. We come together because we are soldiers in the battle. And this is the barracks where we come and get the weapons we need to go out and make a difference in the world. Amen? This is a place where we come together as workmen and we sharpen our tools so we can go outside of these walls and reach people for Jesus, right? If church is just a spiritual pantry or as Spurgeon says a heavenly lunchroom we just come and want to leave feeling good you're missing the point of the gathering of the body of Christ ultimately this time is about you and I coming together encouraging one another sharpening one another so we can follow God's calling for our life and employ the gifts God has given us for the glory of Jesus and so, the leaders of the church are to equip the Christians to serve Christ in this world. In other words, hear me, Christianity is not a spectator sport. I heard this description of football a ways back, and I thought it was funny, and I thought I'd share it with you. What's a football game? 22 men in desperate need of rest, watched by 50,000 in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> Sadly, that can describe churches, can it? Did you know there's something in church life? And it's, it's a ratio, and, and if, you, if you really examine it and apply it to different local churches, it pretty much holds up. It's called the 80-20 rule. Anybody ever heard the, have you ever heard the 80-20 rule? Here's what I mean. It means that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And it's, it, it, it holds up. It really does. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people in need of some help with a bunch of spectators that need to get involved. 
And Ephesians 4.12 says, God has given the church pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. When the saints are doing the work of ministry, the church will grow stronger and larger. Because look what it says in Ephesians 4 verse 12. We'll deal with this a little bit next week. But Ephesians 4 verse 12 It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. That that phrase, building up, means to get stronger. To build up the body of Christ. So, So when you're equipped to do what God's called you to do and you're serving in the body of Christ, the body will get stronger. And also, the body will grow larger. Look what it says in verse 16. He says, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly. You see that? When every part of the body is doing what they're called to do. When each part is working properly, Paul writes, it makes the body what? What's the word there? It makes the body what? Grow. Grow. The way we grow as a church is found right here. We all serve faithfully. We all are equipped to make a difference right where God has placed us. So when the saints are doing the work of ministry and they get past the higher gun mentality, a church will be more effective, it will grow stronger, and it will be larger. It will grow. This is God's plan for service. Now next week, we're going to talk about God's plan for maturity. How He desires for you to mature in your faith and what mature Christianity looks like. We'll talk about that next week. But this morning, I want you to to leave thinking about this. What is my role in the body of Christ? Am I contributing to what God is doing among the people of First Baptist Church? Am I getting equipped? Am I serving faithfully? Am I employing my giftedness in the body of Christ? Which needs to be followed by another question. Do I even care? Do I care? Do I want to get involved? Do I want to make a difference? Do I want to be obedient in the body? Do I want to be equipped? Do I care? You see, God has a plan. God has a plan for His church. He's given the church leaders to equip you. To equip you. I'm telling you, a church that is growing in its equipping and its encouragement growing in their understanding of their own giftedness, growing in their dedication and commitment to the Lord and to His church and to reaching people the gospel, that kind of church will turn a community and a region and a state and a nation upside down for Jesus. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.